Welcome to Furry Explained. I'm Finn, a big black cat from the internet, and Furry Explained is my show about furries and their culture. So, a little something you've probably noticed by now, we've been talking a lot about furry conventions recently on this show. And I can tell you that's for a couple of reasons. One is I would argue that it's the beginning of what I'd call fall or winter furry convention season. From around this time in October to late March, there seems to be a lot of furry conventions that are happening, especially here in the United States, including some of the biggest ones in attendance. And obviously the counterpart to that would be spring and summer furry convention season, where a lot of other big cons happen as well. But that means there's a lot of action around furries moving around and meeting each other at different locations around the country. And along with that, I'm still extracting topics for this show out from my first furry con that I went to in August, though honestly, that well is starting to dry up too. Anyways, typically when attending a furry convention, most of the time you want to be there for more than one day, which means you need a place to stay and sleep overnight. And at furry conventions especially, this place is usually a hotel of some sort. Now, I get this isn't always true. There are some cons that are out in the wilderness and use things like caravans, tents, and other things of that nature for convention goers to go back and sleep to at night. But for the most part, cons happen in cities and offer hotels as their recommended accommodation options. Now, on the surface, hotels might sound like a pretty simple concept. At the end of the day, both figuratively and literally, they are the place where you sleep at night in between days at a convention. But one thing that occurred to me, mainly due to a conversation I had at Denver back in August, is that for people traveling and staying at a convention hotel for the first time, things actually aren't all that simple. In fact, this person I was talking to made a really convincing argument that after flying, figuring out your stay at a hotel is the second most confusing process of attending a furry convention. And it's also one of those areas of travel where getting it wrong could be extremely punishing. From having to pay a lot of extra money to, in the worst case scenario, not having a place to sleep at night at all. But the flip side of that is true as well. If you are experienced in traveling, figuring all that out becomes much less of a hassle over time. And honestly, it actually is a lot like flying as well. Once you know how the whole process works, it's very repeatable, allowing the stresses of securing a spot to sleep to be an afterthought allowing you to focus on enjoying the primary reason you're getting a hotel in the first place, the actual furry convention. So that's what we're going to explain today. I've been in a privileged position to have experienced many different types of hotels, from large rooms with stunning views of the ocean to ones on the side of highways with half of the bathroom door missing. But the process of ending up at both of those and everything in between was similar enough to translate those experiences and apply them to getting a hotel for a furry convention. 
And now that I think about it, this really should have gone after the episode about choosing between larger and smaller furry conventions. That would have been a perfect little one-two punch for the traveling aspect of cons, but I don't know what I'm doing. Don't ever think for a second I actually know what I'm doing when it comes to this show. But anyways, we're here now, so welcome to Furry Explained. Let's get started right here. So, usually at the start of this part of the episode, I tend to like to wax poetic about why whatever topic we're discussing is important, and the more overall impact it has on the furry fandom as a whole. But we're actually not going to do that this time. There's a lot to go over when it comes to navigating the accommodation side of furry conventions, so we're going to get straight into it. But we can at least set the stage a little bit. Let's start right at the beginning. Suppose you just decided which furry convention you want to attend and have registration all sorted out. The first thing right after that is probably going to be choosing what you want to do for accommodations. Now, if you're staying at a friend's place or are sharing a space that you didn't have to set up, then you're set since the rest of this episode would have technically already been done for you already. But if not, the first thing you'll probably want to look at are the options you have for staying at or near where the convention is being held. If you can, it's best to stay at one of the hotels that the convention is sponsoring or featuring. And this is good for a couple of reasons. Usually you get a really good discount. In many cases, it's the exact same location of where the convention actually is. And more often than not, it's usually a pretty nice place to stay. Though, I'll admit, it's a lot easier said than done, especially with larger cons. The rooms at these hotels tend to go really quickly, and you could also end up getting caught up in a room lottery, where it's literally like a contest. Many will enter, but few will win a room at that convention hotel. If you can't get into the so-called main hotel, it's best to plan to stay at the nicest one you can reasonably afford that's close by. And obviously, nicer places are going to cost more, but most people will tell you that it's much better to save up for a nicer place to stay, even if it's a little further out. Because honestly, there's some really bad hotels out there. But at the end of the day, get what you can afford, but don't skimp out on budgeting for a hotel at a convention. Now, the next decision that you probably want to make is who, if anyone, you want to stay with. Now, personally, I highly recommend staying with a roommate or multiple roommates for a number of reasons, primary of which you can split the cost of the room, and in the case of a hotel lottery, you can indirectly double your chances of getting into the main con room. It's also just safer to stay with someone you trust, and doing random shenanigans at night with a friend is always a lot of fun. Although I should reiterate that you do want to stay with someone you trust, because doing the opposite will make your experience much worse. You don't want to be stuck with someone who might not pay you back, or someone who might trash the room in general, or invite people you may not want over. All of that could easily ruin your entire experience of the convention, no matter how well everything else goes. 
Now, if you can't initially find anyone but still really want a roommate, there are still sites and other places online to find a temporary one, but personally, I don't really recommend them. Usually these are just strangers that you know nothing about, and in that case, it's just better to go alone. In fact, you may be like me and actually like having a nice quiet place to go to sleep after a busy day at a convention. Now, here's a more interesting part of figuring out your accommodations for a furry convention that should be a big help if you can manage it. It's in regards to when you actually arrive at your hotel to check in. If possible, it will be really helpful to get your accommodations a day earlier. And I mean a day even before the actual convention starts. On those days, it's a lot less hectic, which can be really helpful if you don't want to be rushed to figure this all out. Overall, it's a much more relaxed and easier time getting situated in your room, allowing you to get some good rest before the rest of the furry herd arrives. But again, I understand that this is a tall order for a lot of people, especially how tight travel can be. At the end of the day, your goal is to get there when you can but preferably at least the night before the first day of the convention. Oh, and this is a good time to bring up a confusing aspect of hotels for even those who do travel a lot. The time you can actually get into your room. Now, most hotels have a thing called a check-in time, which is a time that only after which you can actually get access to your room. Most of the time, it's in the afternoon, but it's not uncommon for your travel plans and the hotel's check-in time to not match up. Though, in most cases, you really can't get to a hotel room too late. Even if you arrive at 1 or 2 in the morning, they should still have a room available for you, though it's good to call and update them with your travel status if you know you're going to be late so they can work with you to secure a room. Now, if you get there too early before the check-in time, it's a lot less big of a deal than you might think. You can always ask the hotel if you can check in early, and if a room is free, they'll typically let you in. But if your room isn't ready yet, you can always ask the hotel to hold your bags for you, and they can hold them safely and securely while you hang out in the lobby or explore the city while you wait. Alright, that was a lot of information, and we haven't even hypothetically gotten into our room yet. But I think both you and I need some time to just breathe a little before we go ahead and tackle the rest of this. Alright, let's keep moving and actually talk about paying for your room. Here is another thing that throws a lot of people off when it comes to actually paying for your hotel room. Most hotels expect you to pay with a credit card. I won't go into details behind why this is the case, but this is just how it works. And this weird requirement can pop up even if you prepay online, which, while most hotels have you pay once you get there, some hotels will allow you to pay for the whole room in full completely online which could be preferable if you like taking care of things up front. Now, in most cases, pricing is pretty straightforward, but there are some things to look out for when signing. 
Primary of which is the refund status, which is good to know in case you need to back out. Now, unfortunately, at least in my experience, it's actually rare that you'll get a full refund if you do need to back out, or you might have to pay extra up front to have the privilege to request a refund later on down the line. Other than that, if you do use a credit card, you should be good, and I honestly recommend it for safety and just good financial habits. Don't freak out even if the person checking you in freaks out. They will usually say something like they'll put a temporary charge on your card that will be resolved to the actual amount of the room cost later. Which is usually fine, but sometimes it's a large amount, and with debit cards, that money gets taken out of your account immediately and refunded afterward. So it's just good to ensure that you have ample money for at least double the charge of the room to cover anything like that. And I guess there's no reason why you can't pay in cash, but you should expect some questions. But honestly, it should be fine, and it's always good to have some anyway. There's usually vending machines or a small hotel store for snacks, and it's good to have cash for emergencies. Also, be sure to tip anyone who helps you with your bags or drives you from the airport to the hotel or any other service items like that. It's just the customary thing to do in the U.S., and it's another good reason to have some cash. And usually one or two bucks per bag is good, or just round up to somewhere around that. Now we can talk about the actual reason why you're there, staying overnight. When it is time for you to get some rest, whenever you choose that time to be, Make sure to follow any noise policy that the hotel has and don't be afraid to let hotel staff know if your neighbors aren't. And trust me, that's not a Karen moment. You need your sleep. But if you want to do it yourself, it's always nice to knock on their door and ask them politely to keep it down. People tend to get loud naturally when they're hanging out with other fun people and they might not even realize how loud they're being and most of the time people will be considerate. Also, don't be afraid to make good use of your space. Go ahead and store anything you need in the furniture provided, or at least keep it off the floor. It's also good to keep track of where you put everything so you don't lose it if you have to rush out. When it comes to eating in your room, room service can be great, but also very expensive, especially at higher-end hotels. But the good news is you can have food delivered to you at the address of the hotel, just like at your house. You probably just have to go down to the lobby to get it. This is a good time to make good use of your fridge and microwave as well, and if you do order food, it's best to order it early. Delivery drivers around a convention are going to be swamped, especially on Fridays and Saturdays during conventions. And when you're ready to retire for the night, Ensure that you are as comfortable as possible when it's time to sleep. That means get all the extra pillows that you need, and if you need white noise, go ahead and keep the AC fan on. Or do whatever you need to do to make sure that you enjoy the little sleep you'll end up getting at a convention. Otherwise, the night is yours, and you can repeat those steps for however long you're staying, and everything in your room should go pretty well. But we're not done just yet, because the final thing you have to take care of at the end of your stay is actually leaving the property properly. 
Checking out is another confusing part of the hotel experience, since hotels also have a checkout time, a time that you have to leave before or face getting charged with extra fees. Which can be frustrating if you're leaving the same day as the last day of the convention, and it can be earlier than a lot of conventions closing ceremonies. If that happens, it's still okay to pack up and vacate the room and check out, and you can have the hotel hold your bags for you just like we mentioned when checking in. That way you can go to the rest of the con, come back for your bags anytime that same day, and then go from there. Though if you do plan on doing this, it's probably best not to dress up in suit on that day since you want to be packed for the most part. And when you do check out, make sure they either give you a receipt or have one emailed to you. Now, sometimes they do do this when you check in, but it's just good to check all of the charges and ensure that they make sense. You don't want to get charged for something you didn't do or didn't buy. Oh, and you don't have to return your hotel key, but I think it's still a good idea to do so, mainly because they actually recycle them for other people to use. But assuming you left the room in good condition like you found it, you should be, again, figuratively and literally, good to go. Now, I get, that was a rather information-dense episode. But I erred on the side of explaining everything because getting this right is rather important. The hotel or other accommodations are a key part of the furry convention experience, and in many ways it can make or break your entire experience at the convention. And at the very least, you want to ensure that you'll enjoy the place where you'll be getting whatever sleep you can while attending a fur con. So if you need to, feel free to go back and take notes or reference this episode if getting a room at a convention gets confusing. But I assure you, after doing it a few times, getting accommodations for a con will be some of the least of your concerns as you adventure out to do what you came for. Be with other anthropomorphic animal enthusiasts. That concludes this episode of Furry Explained. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new today. As always, if you want to continue the conversation about figuring out hotels at furry conventions or have any other feedback for the show, you can find and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Finn the Panther, and a link to my Twitter is down in the show notes, along with some other resources about furry convention accommodations that you should definitely check out. If you do like the show and want to support it, the best way to do that is to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, make sure to give the show a rating and a review as well. You can also just tell people about the show, and if we don't show up in the search box, they can go to pod.link slash furryexplained to find the show on their platform of choice. Thank you so much for doing so, and we'll be back next week for another episode of Furry Explained. But until then, stay wild out there. Peace.
So some of you might not have noticed, but if you did, I do apologize if my voice sounded a little bit more raspy than usual on this episode. To be honest, I should be apologizing after every episode provided how awful I think my voice sounds, but even I could tell while going through this one that things were a little worse than usual. But I do have an excuse this time. This is the second episode I'm recording today, mainly because I do want to take a little personal break away from current everyday life, if I'm honest. For those who don't know, I have seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, where if I don't see the sun after a while, I get really, really depressed. It was my only concern moving up here to the Pacific Northwest, and I've been doing a lot better than I thought I would, but it's not like I'm cured or anything like that. It still makes me a slower, sadder person. And it's also why a lot of the recent episodes coming out feel more like filler and not groundbreaking by any means. So I'm going to push the limits of my company's work from home policy and take a trip down to sunny Los Angeles for a week. In fact, I should be there the week this episode comes out. And I'm hoping that little change of scenery and seeing some old friends while I'm down there helps out just a little bit. But anyways, that's why my voice was a little worse than usual, and if I'm rather quiet on social media or Telegram or anything like that this week, now you know why. But besides that, I do hope you take care of yourself, Um, I hope you had a happy Halloween, and I'll be back next time. Bye.